It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way as we are seven days away from the big election. Yep, one week. Jonathan Turley standing by to talk about the significance of Amy uh, Coney uh, Barrett getting the Supreme Court Justice nod, the Ninth Supreme Court Justice. We're now fully stocked. Maria Bartiromo's got a great book out called The Cost. Trump, China, and American Revival. It is out. It's written with Wall Street Journal's James Freeman. It is excellent. She's going to be here to talk about that and might be the most respected voice in business news. Uh, please don't tell Stuart Varney I said that. one 408 7669 We have a lot to discuss, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If everyone agrees that this is something that's important, I think that would be a great idea to have everybody do it uniformly. If people are not wearing masks, then maybe we should be mandating it. Wow. Uh, Anthony Fauci just flipping around again. Uh, COVID-19 challenging America's Americans from coast to coast, the battle, the politics, and the new push for a national mask mandate. Number two. The oath that I have solemnly taken tonight means at its core that I will do my job without any fear or favor independently of both the political branches and of my own preferences. Oh, that is uh, pretty impressive. Amy Coney Barrett at the White House last night. A great ceremony, perfect weather, perfect backdrop. President couldn't be happy, happier, and you can understand why. The Supreme Court now has nine justices as Amy Coney Barrett gets the nod as the 115th Supreme Court justice ever. The reaction, the Dem outrage, and their plans for revenge to restructure a branch of government. Number one. I'm going to be going to Iowa, I'm going to Wisconsin, I'm going to Georgia, I'm going to Florida, and maybe other places as well. There's not been a day that hadn't been a 12-hour day yet. Really? Okay. We just haven't seen much of it. Uh, Joe Biden yesterday, state of the game with one week to go, the polls, the events, the messages, and Joe Biden's strategy to run out the clock as he barely campaigns. And let's bring in Jonathan Turley. Uh, Jonathan Turley, as you know, he demands this type of introduction, law professor, George West University. And he likes, perhaps, on the top of his resume, is Fox News contributor. Jonathan, welcome back, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, so first off, your, your reaction last night about the ceremony with Justice Thomas swearing in Amy Coney uh, Barrett. Well, there was a real sense of history to it. Everyone knows that this is a major shift for the court in that they now have a very strong majority of conservatives. But they also added someone who has considerable intellectual depth, Uh, much like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. uh, She comes to the court fully formed as an intellectual. You know, both of them had already written extensively about their views of jurisprudence. So this is no work in progress. This is not a justice who's going to surprise us. And that's very important because she has a clear vision as to what she thinks is the proper way to interpret the Constitution. And it is definitely more narrow than that of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, Ginsburg was inclined to broader interpretations of the Constitution and statutes. 
Uh, Barrett's not like that. Uh, she tends to be more textual, more narrow in her interpretations. That ironically puts more power in the hands of Congress. So it's sort of surprising when you see members of Congress slamming a jurist who basically is saying, I don't want to legislate. Uh, and uh, they're saying, how dare you? Uh, you know, so it's sort of an odd moment. I agree. But you're not surprised by this. Some of the outrage on the left, they feel as though with this little time, everyone's voting, they should never have even nominated her. So AOC comes out and says, expand the court. Elon Omar says, expand the court. Uh, she she went on to say, um, Democrats have won six of the last seven popular votes, but yet Republicans have appointed six of the nine next judges. AOC goes on to say Republicans do this because they don't believe Dems have the stones to play hardball like they do. And for the long term, for a long time, they've been right. But do not let them bully the public into thinking their bulldozing is normal. But as a response isn't, there is a legal process for expansion. I think it's coming. If they win the Senate, goodbye filibuster, hello expansion. Is there any doubt in your mind? Well, I thought the most chilling moment came with Senator Blumenthal on the floor where he said there will be consequences. I mean, it sounded like a human shield operation that, you know, vote no or the court gets it. I mean, I, I don't I don't really understand how U.S. senators have given so readily into this pressure uh, court packing until very recently was viewed as an outrageous yeah. uh, scheme, and no one I know would would associate themselves with court packing. It's now become an article of faith for Democrats. And by the way, in fact, do you want to hear that, Jonathan? For people who did not hear it, would you just reflect it on? Here is Chuck Schumer and Blumenthal saying the shooting this uh, this across the bow of the Republicans. Cut twenty three. Nothing less than everything is at stake. A shift in the balance of the court that will last for decades if we do not act to correct it. And believe me, there are appropriate measures that should be considered. And the next time the American people give Democrats a majority in this chamber, you will have forfeited the right to tell us how to run that majority. I didn't even know the minority had a right to tell the majority how to act, but uh, their point is, look out, uh, there's hell to pay. Yeah, and it's it, there's equally chilling stuff coming out of academia. A Harvard professor has been advocating a host of changes, including court packing, and he gave an interview responding to those things, saying, well, what if we pack the court and then the Republicans come back and pack the court? And he said, don't worry about that, because we can change the political system. We can change the way Congress is selected. And he expressly said, so that the Republicans can't win another election. So there's no danger to this. But then he added, it, that's why it's important to pack the court, because otherwise the court would declare those moves unconstitutional. So it was just absolutely mind-blowing that they're saying the quiet part out loud now without any shame. And you, as somebody that loves the Supreme Court, loves the, the legal system, to see it thrown in the street must be horrifying. Listen to what Joe Biden's considering that he said in Chester, Pennsylvania yesterday, Cut 26. There is a question about whether or not it's a lifetime appointment. I'm not going to attempt to change that at all. 
there's some literature among constitutional scholars about the possibility of going from one court to another court, not just always staying the whole time in the Supreme Court. But I have made no judgment, my word, my words about made no judgment. They're just a group of serious constitutional scholars have a number of ideas how we should proceed from this point on. Wow. What's he talking about? You can rotate them out through dis- to district courts? Yeah, I wrote a column in The Hill on all of these uh, proposals that are completely wacky. I mean, they are, are really unnerving. And, and, you know, in one, Pete Buttigieg, who's an advisor now to Biden, has pushed the idea of just doing away with the apolitical notion of justices and pick five Democrats and five Republicans and then have them pick five other judges who will rotate. I mean, that's the type of stuff that the Biden campaign is saying is going to go before this commission. And the commission is really an example of sort of enablement by commission. You're going to take ideas that Biden once called boneheaded and turn them into bona fides by just simply having a commission say, oh, yeah, we think it's a good idea to just narrow the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court or change the way they vote or even just shift from court to court. But the whole point is to simply engineer a majority in favor of those in Congress. So this could really happen if the Senate, you know, a lot of people think the Senate's going to go to the Democrats' way. They're going to get rid of the filibuster and they're going to be able to do simple majority. And they're going to start doing things like this. And what you're referring to is Joe Biden throws this out at 60 minutes. I'll put together an esteemed panel, a Simpson-Bowles-like panel with Republicans and Democrats. And in 180 days, they'll come back with ways to, uh, to reform the Supreme Court because he claims our court system has gotten out of whack. Do you even agree with that statement? Of course not. I mean, this was the filling of a vacancy. You disagree with whether it should have happened close to the election. I get that. But it's a constitutional process. And what they're suggesting is destroying an institution that has been the stabilizing element for the United States for hundreds of years. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself denounced these ideas as destroying the court that she loves so much. But that's the type of madness we're in. Almost 60 percent of the American public has said that they're dead set against packing the court. And that's telling because it's the same 30 percent. We've seen this in both parties. The Democrats are listening to the most extreme 30 percent on their side. And they're demanding these outrageous acts. And we are living in an age of rage. It's just complete lunacy. But it could happen. I never thought it could happen. But for the first time this morning, I think it just might. Now, it's true. I'm still traumatized by the Bears losing last night. I'm not thinking very clearly. But uh, it does seem to me that this is the real deal. They intend to go forward. See, here's the problem. I believed everything you were saying. But with the type of year the Bears are having, they have one loss. You're talking to a giant fan who has one win. We don't know how we pulled that off against Washington. And if you've watched recently, you don't know we're going to win again. And I'm in a city that also has the Jets, who have stopped trying to win. So with the Yankees, who have underperformed, and the Mets, who, who finally got sold to an owner that wants to play sports. But you see, we had expectations. That's the problem, Brian. It's, it's the problem of expectation. We had a higher ah, fall. You raised the bar. <laughs> How dare you? You got to live my life. We don't raise the bar at all. 
Um, I don't come here as a fully formed intellect like uh, Amy Coney Barrett. I'm still growing. Uh, Jonathan, thanks so much. I, I, I was hoping you'd tell me, Brian, this is not going to happen. There's no way cooler heads will prevail. But you just don't feel that way. And that's why we're going to put this in front of the American people and make sure they know what they're voting for. I'm afraid I, I wish I could give a more optimistic account because this strikes me as utter lunacy. Uh, I agree. Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. Okay, thanks. See you, Brian. All right. A voice of reason talking about the unreasonableness that we're witnessing in our country. A whole branch of government is going to be corrupted by another branch of government if we vote, if we vote a certain way. Just understand what you're voting for. You might be upset with President Trump's tweets, and you might not love uh, Tom Tillis or Cory Gardner, but your alternative is a restructuring of the government as we live it. In about 10 minutes, Maria Bartiroma. But the good news is your turn to talk next. one 408 Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A president is only as successful um, as his collaboration is with with Congress. And we, we will have um, a, a cohort of progressives that are very clear about their objectives for wanting the implementation of you know, Medicare for all and a Green New Deal um, and raising the minimum wage and, and not allowing for fracking. Yep. The squad speaks and they're going to have influence. And guess what? That was Elon Omar. Let's bring that forward. Mr. President, why don't you roll that into some of your live events, which are brilliantly been put out, packed out, and you're rolling in clips of showing Joe Biden saying exactly what he claims he did not say about fracking, about cutting Medicare, Social Security, about criminal justice reform. The problem is he's got a 47-year past that he denies, but the president's bringing that forward. Now start rolling in the squad. Cindy, South Bend, Indiana, WMNC. Cindy. 
Hi. Um, my question here is, as he wants to change the court structure yep. and the uh, the amount of states that are in the United States, yes. that all has to pass through a constitutional amendment process that the people of the United States have to vote on. No, the Electoral College, yes, but not the court structure. But the state, adding states to the country, has to pass through. Um, no, it doesn't. Believe it or not, if they get rid of the filibuster, you could do it with a simple majority. Since when? That Since we've never when? got we've never gotten rid of the filibuster before, but now we have. So the electoral college would have to go through the amendment process, but the uh, the um, the adding states would not. Believe it or not. So wrong. All right, it's unbelievable. Um, people should know what they're voting for. Terry, Indianapolis, Indiana. Terry. Hi, um, uh, thank you for taking, and God bless you for your show. I just want to say quickly, we need to look at history. I watched the Boston Marathon bombing, Patriots Day movie. Yes. I had to cry at the end. From 2013 till now, look at the changes. Cops were lauded on the field of the Boston Red Sox. Now no pro athlete will touch them. 2013, there was a bombing, no looting. Now cops have to stand by and allow looting. And Friday or Saturday, some Antifa said he was Antifa, was on the streets in Boston doing some kind of occultic thing to get at Trump where he was dancing around a flag and supposedly mimicking eating of a heart. And this is just seven years ago. And then in 2016, three years out of the Boston Marathon bombing, we had that big Dallas police shooting. I mean, all because the Democrats didn't win, the FBI went from finding a terrorist to then negotiating with a Democratic candidate to go after Americans. Yeah, and now they're going silent after they had Hunter's laptop for eight months. In just seven years. That's, that's what happens if you vote without uh, that, thinking. Right, uh, and I think people have to understand, well, I don't like his tweets. He's a little bit harsh of a term. Do you understand the alternative is not subtle? It's not Tom Cotton or Donald Trump. It's not JFK or Donald Trump. It is Joe Biden, a shell of a person, trying to the best he can. I don't know if he's trying to keep the left wing happy. Look who he named as his running mate. I mean, they're basically this is a this is a four alarm fire, and people don't seem to be hearing the siren. Thanks, Terry. Pete, listening online in Pennsylvania. Pete, Brian, I'm an attorney, but I'm not a courtroom guy. Yep. Um, I I would like to make a little prediction uh, about. Uh, out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Uh, well, it's more of a get-out-the-vote call to um, uh, Trump supporters and conservatives. Um, I uh, I think everybody knows that Stephen Breyer is getting up there in age, uh, appointed by Bill Clinton. He's 82 years old, yep. um, and uh, there could be another appointment there um, in a second term for President Trump. Uh, as I as I watched the video of Clarence Thomas swearing in um, – uh, uh, Madam Justice, um, he's getting older. <laughs> the Madam, word is Madam he Justice. wants to he Fair. wants to 
Uh, he wants to retire soon, too. Exactly. He's 72, and he's swearing in Madam Justice Barrett last night, and I'm thinking President Trump could, could see two more picks. He really could. And that's why I'd uh, be very curious to see if, if people understand what's at stake. It's not Biden-Trump. It's what they both bring. And I appreciate that, Pete. Very intelligent callers, one 408 7669 We come back, Maria Bartiromo, on what the president has actually accomplished and what is left to do. Uh, and, of course, then we'll take your calls on the back end. A lot to discuss. We have seven days to the election. Watch you here every step of the way. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think Trump understood regulation was a big drag on the U.S. economy and on businesses and on their ability to expand and grow. Normally, Washington spews out tens of thousands, often close to 100,000 pages of new rules and regulations every year. President Trump decided he didn't want that to happen anymore. And that was James Freeman. He is co-author with Maria Bartiromo of a brand new book. It's called The Cost, Trump, China, and American Revival. Maria Bartiromo from Mornings with Maria, the same woman you watch every day from 6 to 9 on FBN, joins us now. And Sunday mornings with Sunday Morning Futures with Maria on Sunday at 10. Maria Bartiromo, congratulations on the book. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for having me. So we it was wanted really to pull, joy to write it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know what? Great special on Sunday. And that was James Freeman talking about what he observed from President Trump. He shocked the world with the victory, but then he sprung into action. It's not the sexiest thing in the world to cut regulations. Can you give me an idea of what he was cutting that seemed to have benefited so much? Yeah, I think you make such an important point. And I know you asked me this the other day. I felt like I should have answered it differently because – the regulatory part of what President Trump did was so enormous in terms of moving the needle on yeah. economic growth. What he did was go into uh, small banks and all and look at all the rules around small banks, look at all the rules around energy companies, all the rules around corporate America in general, because they were stifling. I don't know if you remember during the Obama years when you had the major banks hiring more lawyers than anything else. Yeah. And that was the key to what President Trump did in terms of unlocking economic growth. He cut out the middleman, cut out the years that it would take to invest, for example. Like I remember talking to Jamie Dimon so many times, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, when he would say to me, Maria, we want to invest in you know, building bridges in Detroit. We want to invest in infrastructure in America, but we can't because when we actually put the pen to paper, when we actually try to do the deal, get it over the finish line, it takes 13 years to get through regulatory approvals. It takes 10 years to get through regulatory approvals. In the special that you just mentioned, Steve Schwarzman, the head of the Blackstone Group, came on and said, it's like Elmer's glue. You can't get anything done because you have to check off all of these rules and regulations that just create an enormous bureaucracy. President Trump wanted to change that bureaucracy. Why did he know it? He knew it because he was a business guy before he went to Washington. And he, as a real estate developer, faced all of this rulemaking. At one point, they were saying that President Obama's federal register was the same length as a Bible. 
as a St. James Bible. That's how long the Federal Register uh, pages right. were in terms of the rules and regulations. That was critical to President Trump's economic policy. It continues today. He says there are more rules to cut. In fact, major banks, the J.P. Morgans of the world, did not even participate in all the rule cutting. It was more about small community banks so that they would open up their spigots to lend to America. And that lending would spur people to spend money, buy homes, take mortgages, etc. And that's how he moved the needle on economic growth. It was that regulation, right. that deregulatory rules that really he eliminated. And it really was a beautiful thing in terms of making progress. So, you know, Maria, I've watched you even before I got to know you and, and have you have here at Fox. And, you know, you would never all in on any particular candidate or business philosophy. You were just trying to find out what was behind it and seeing the results uh, once it was implemented. When uh, President Trump took over, there was a shock. And it was in the business world, too. I think the business world might be bracing for Biden. But they were bracing for Hillary four years ago. What were they expecting from Trump and what did they get? Well, I think, you know, you're smart to look at what happened with Hillary because we're sort of doing a deja vu all over again. Yeah, right now, I think the business community is trying to have a backup plan. Like when I report on all of the Wall Street research every morning, you see a lot of firms, you know, Goldman Sachs is of the world, coming up with the, the Trump bucket of stocks and the Biden bu- bucket of stocks. They want to make sure to have both sides of the coin so that they don't get flat-footed. I think what business was expecting from Hillary Clinton was the same as President Obama. They knew Hillary's plans. They knew what it would look like. It would look like President Obama. Same rules in place, same regulations in place, same taxes in, in place, except maybe a little higher. They didn't know what to expect from Donald Trump. Here's a guy from Queens, New York, who wants to be president. Well, what does he know about being president? There was some skepticism around yeah. that in 2016. That's why on election night 2016, the market was selling off. People were like, uh-oh, it looks like Trump's going to win. What the heck does this mean? They're selling off because they didn't recognize, they underestimated his economic policy. Right now, we know that Joe Biden offers again. The same as Barack Obama, although he wants to take taxes up $4.3 trillion. And little by little, people are figuring out what that means. For example, if you look at the corporate rate, Trump took it down to 21%. You know, he threatened everybody, oh, I want 15%, I want 16%. He told me in, in, in the book, uh, for our interviews that we did for the book, he, he said, look, I'm going to say 15%, I'm going to say 16% because I knew I really wanted 20 or 21. You know, he's a negotiator, he's a deal maker, so he's going to undercut so that he gets what he wants. What Joe Biden is saying is, we're going to take that corporate rate, Trump took it to 21%, we're going to take it to 28%. And then on capital gains, don't think capital gains is just for people who own stocks. It's not. It's anything you make on anything. If you sell your home there's a ca- and you make money on it, that's a capital gain. So let's say you sell your home, you're going to get hit with a 43.4% tax. That's where Joe Biden wants to take capital gains. Right now, the capital gains tax is 23.8%. Biden says he's going to take that up to 43.4%. You're going to get hit with a 45% tax on anything you sell, your home, your car, your art, your stock portfolio. That is, of course, going to cut things down in terms of economic growth. Of course, that's going to slow things down. Now, it would be okay if it would actually get the deficit down. And, and actually apply to the deficit, but that's not what he's doing. He's got enormous spending pr- 
programs. So he's raising revenue so that he could put that revenue into other right. spending programs like his Green New Deal that they've endorsed. And that's going to cost, are you ready? $100 trillion. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's and the other thing to keep in mind, too, when in doubt, go take money from the Pentagon. So I laugh at all these generals that sit there and say, I don't like the president's tone and I don't like this or that. Really? He built up the military. He bought you what you needed. He changed the rules of engagement. But you don't like his tone. Guess what? Joe Biden's coming to town with a with an axe to cut your budget. So James Freeman brought up something just when it came to the corporate tax from your book. When you cut the corporate tax, it had a result. And the result is businesses came home, cut 36. You see how it really changed the game in terms of companies that used to be looking for a way out of the United States or now looking to expand in the United States. And this was going to be a good place to do business. They started building more factories, installing new equipment. And this is what he had in mind all along. And, and what happens is if you if you jack that rate up, even though it's below what it was, that's going to have people saying, looking at the I, I owe something to the shareholders. I If that's I can right. make more money in Ireland, if I can make more money in Vietnam, I'll move my manufacturing back. Right. And do you remember under the Obama administration, we had an incredible string of companies moving their headquarters to Ireland. I mean, it was so stunning that Tim Geithner came out one one day and said, oh, we're going to put rules in place that if you move to Ireland, you're going to pay a tax. That's how much it was happening because Ireland's corporate rate was 9%. So if you've got a corporate rate of 9% in Ireland and in the U.S. you've got a corporate rate of 35%, yeah. what's well, not brain surgery? I mean, this is pretty simple stuff. You can't pay 35% in taxes and then have operations all over the world and think, oh, why would I stay here? Of course you're going to say, I'm going to go move my headquarters to Ireland. And that's what they did. You know, Maria, in, in simple terms, what I think President Obama failed to look at and Joe Biden also is they don't understand that there's a reaction to what they do. They look at the situation and say, I know how to get more money out of that. They don't understand that business has a say in this, too. They don't have to keep their money in places they're going to be highly taxed. They move them. They move locations. That's what they do. And just with Obamacare, they put Obamacare in. They say, if you have a certain number of people, you have to give them insurance. Well, they can't afford it. So they keep it underneath that number. You raise minimum wage. They hire less people, not because they're selfish or don't like people. Their margins are so small, especially in restaurants, especially now, and in hotels, that they can't afford to jack up that minimum wage because everybody else gets a raise. Why is it that so many politicians don't understand business reacts to what you do? Well, it's very important to understand that money is mobile, and I'm going to take my money wherever it's treated best. That's why you have a massive fleeing going on out of New York right now. Yes, They're going to Florida. They're going to Texas. Why? There's no income tax there. Money is mobile, and it is going to move wherever it's treated best. It's a different approach. President Trump's approach is to empower the individual, make the individual have an opportunity to work as hard as they can and make as much money as they can, and then spend it accordingly, provided you have the barriers and the boundaries on the side, which will keep everything in law. President Obama and Joe Biden had a much different approach. They want to make business big, make government programs big so that they can decide who gets what. We're going to do handouts of, you know, free food. We're going to do handouts of free education, free health care. We're going to decide who gets what. So it's a very clear distinction. 
big government right. versus big individual. Aunt Maria, it's very interesting because I think there's something that I don't think can be legislated, and that's the value of work and the pride in what you do. And you worked in a restaurant. You, you have famously worked in as a co-check person, and you wanted to have a job because you wanted money, and you wanted to move up. And you didn't expect anyone to hand something to you. It was part of the process. You come out of school, you earn your way up. There's going to be times in which it's lean. You're not going to have the biggest apartment, not going to have the biggest house. You're not going to have the nicest car, but it's part of the process. I think people have built into, over the last 10, 15 years, this sense of resentment towards those who have. Instead of saying, I'll get there, they want it now without putting the work in or want to blame somebody because you don't have it yet. But look what happened when President Trump tried his approach in empowering people, giving them the opportunities, jobs to make their own money. We actually saw the income inequality situation begin to narrow. We were seeing earnings on the bottom level, the bottom earners rise faster than the top. Why? Because those people were given opportunities to work and make their own money and make their own way. You're absolutely right. I grew up as a little girl. My mother would say to me, I would say, Mom, can I get an ice cream cone? She would say to me, Marie, you can have a cone, but how are you going to pay for it? Where's your jar of nickels? Are you saving? You know, everything I wanted to do. Yeah, you can do it. It's okay with me, but how will you pay for it? For a ver- from a very young age. I watched my parents work incredibly hard, make their own way, provide for the family. We were never, ever having these expectations that, oh, I'll get it from the government. Oh, you're going to give it to me because I'm just expecting. I'm going to sit back and relax because I'm going to get that anyway. No way. You went out. You worked hard. You got it. You made your own way. That's who I am. That's what I believe in. And that's basically where my whole – that shaped me. Lastly, so Donald Trump has not been perfect. I get it. But I've never seen such headwinds from the Mueller report to the impeachment. Something out of everybody control, the pandemic, has, has gotten in his way. How do you think he has handled some of these headwinds? I've never seen a guy who could get up from a punch, take a punch and get back up and swinging the way President Trump has. But that's what he has done. This president has faced such an enormous amount of resistance. And even till today, the media is still lying. I don't know. Leslie Stahl, I don't want to say she lied. Maybe she didn't. She probably didn't. She probably just believes it. But to, to sit there with President Trump the other day and say, I can't say that you were spied on because we're 60 minutes and we can't verify it. Well, pick up the IG report. Pick up the Mueller report. How about the Senate Intel report? Of course he was spied on, and of course this was the biggest political scandal anybody has ever seen. And this president keeps on getting up. Even throughout all of this resistance over this last three and a half years, he did economic policy, move the needle on income inequality. He did foreign policy, beginning uh, peace in the Middle East. He did, you know, taking out the head of ISIS, uh, taking out Soleimani. As well as keeping the promises of keeping right. sending the troops back home from Afghanistan, as well as probably the biggest of all, and that is pushing back on China and its bad behavior of decades of theft, not to mention other bad behavior. Do you predict he's going to win? You know, I think he is going to win. I don't believe these polls like I didn't believe them in 2016. Um, you know, it, you know, it's hard to make a prediction like that, but I, I just. Knowing that when you get to the polls, you ask yourself, do I, how do I feel today versus four years ago? You have to believe most people feel better, X, of course, COVID, that, that arrived. And also the fact that 
you're looking at serious corruption in some in, embedded people in Washington. I mean, frankly, over these last few years, I've decided I want term limits. I don't like to see somebody in power 47 years, 40 years, 50 years. They forget about their constituents. They Absolutely. forget about why they're there. And this whole thing about Hunter Biden doing deals, you know, under the table, 10 million here and 20 million there and three and a half million from the mayor of Moscow's wife. I mean, what the heck is going on? So I think people are looking at this and saying, I, I don't want the corruption. Maybe I'm not crazy about his personality. I don't like the tweets, whatever. Yeah. I'd rather have an gotcha. outside there shaking things up. Maria, you're fired up. The book is great. I really hear your voice in it. Uh, it's called The Cost. Trump, China, and American Revival. Maria Bartiromo and James Freeman put it together. Maria, thanks so much. A continued success. Thank you so much, Brian. Go get them. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back with you in just a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Calisthenics for your brain. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In the most voter-suppressed state in the country, you're already seeing record turnout. And so much of that is fueled by black voters and Latino voters and voters in communities of color, precisely the ones that we're turning out today with the Texas Organizing Project. So this is Biden's state to lose. And we are doing our part here in Texas. We would love to see uh, Joe Biden come down here as well. Really, uh, it is show a, a close race, but you're not really putting a lot of resources into Texas. So that's kind of odd. And that, of course, was Beto O'Rourke. And you're not knocking on doors, but Republicans are, which could show the Republicans are concerned about it. Uh, let's go out to the phone. Steve, listen on the Fox News Radio app over in Massachusetts. Hey, Steve. Hey, good morning, Brian. You know, Brian, I have this conversation with my, my Democratic friends, and they hate, they hate logic and they hate facts. <laughs> but if you, go back and remember, if you go back and remember when Mitch McConnell stood in front of Harry Reid and said, don't get rid of this 60-vote rule. If you do that, it's going to come back to bite you. Let's not do that. If the Democrats had not got rid of that 60-vote rule for confirmations, we right now probably wouldn't have had Amy Coney Barrett. This is their fault. This is what happens when they move the bar. And when they move the bar, they get angry when it comes back to bite them. Absolutely. Elections have consequences. Thanks, Steve. Michael, KZRG, Joplin, Missouri. Michael. Hey, Brian. Love the show. Thank Um, you. Quick point on the... The Supreme Court thing I was hoping to get on before they got off the subject, but I don't think we're as close to a 6-3 majority in the conservatives as we as we think we are. I think Kavanaugh got beat up so bad that he's actually um, spirit broke. His spirit's been broke. When it comes to the big controversial issues, I believe he's going to side on the other side. And Roberts is a, is a 50-50 give me. You can't count on him for anything. Yeah, well, I think so, too. But he does have some protection now. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Wow, can you believe it? It is here one week away from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And guess what? So many people have voted already. The tune of 62 million people have already voted. Now, were they going to vote anyway, or are more people excited about this election than anyone else? We keep hearing every election is the most important ever. If people don't vote now, they'll never vote. I actually do believe it. And if you don't believe that things are going to change dramatically, radically, if Joe Biden gets in, even at 77 years old, saying he's a traditionalist, you have not been paying attention. You have not been watching the tweets of AOC. You have not read the uh, the platform of the Democratic Party in their mini convention, which was a failure. And you have not been paying attention to their reaction to Amy Coney Barrett's nomination and, of course, confirmation. Already, this, the California ballots that have been returned, 6.5 million early votes. In Florida, they are next 6 million. Number one, Texas, 7.3 million. This is a lot of action, a lot of passion. This hour, we're going to be joined by Gerard Baker. Uh, he is here with us now. He's going to talk about how the media is conspiring to suppress a major story, many major stories that could hurt Joe Biden. Adam Goodman will be here, bring us inside what's happening in Florida on the ground. Then we'll do a simulcast with Stuart Varney. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If everyone agrees that this is something that's important, I think that would be a great idea to have everybody do it uniformly. If people are not wearing masks, then maybe we should be mandating it. All right, Dr. Fauci just winging it again. COVID-19 challenging America, Americans from coast to coast, the battle, the politics, and a new push for a national mask mandate. Number two. The oath that I have solemnly taken tonight means at its core that I will do my job without any fear or favor, independently of both the political branches and of my own preferences. The Supreme Court has nine justices again, as Amy Coney Barrett uh, was sworn in as the 115th Supreme Court justice. The reaction, the damn outrage, and their plans for revenge to restructure a branch of government. Number one. I'm going to be going to Iowa, I'm going to Wisconsin, I'm going to Georgia, I'm going to Florida, and maybe other places as well. There has not been a day that hadn't been a 12-hour day yet. That's not true. Well, unless it's debate prep. Uh, You took five days off there, took another day off on Sunday, and barely worked yesterday. State of the game with one week to go, the polls, the events, the messages, and Joe Biden's strategy to run out the clock and not do much. Uh, He'll do do something because I think he got some backlash yesterday. Gerard Baker is editor-at-large of the Wall Street Journal and joins us now. Your article really struck me this morning, Gerard. Media watchdogs aren't supposed to guard Biden, but that's exactly what's happening. What led you to that conclusion to write that story? Well, Brian, thank you very much for having me, first of all. I mean, first of all, it's obvious that that's what the media have been doing throughout this campaign. I mean, Biden, uh, as you say, has been running a kind of an extraordinarily low-key campaign. When he pops out every now and then, he, you know, his campaign is full of, uh, you know, his, his, state, his remarks are full of uh, some strange observations some you know, memory lapses and all that kind of stuff. But also, as you pointed out, you know, his campaign is 
um, you know, it, it, the party's platform is as radical a platform probably as the Democratic Party's ever run, or at least, say, let's say, since 1972. Now, normally, you would expect, supposedly, a media, a fair-minded media, would be questioning all of those things, would be holding him to account, would be asking him about his policies, would be explo- ex- exposing some of the things that he's saying and some of the, the, the mistakes that he's made and some of the radical policies that he's proposing for. Instead, they've, they've spent most of the campaign essentially kind of covering for him. And, and what particularly obviously brought forward this the, my column this week was their behavior in the last week over the, the stories uh, that originally broken by the New York Post about his son's uh, business deals with, with Ukraine and with China. Now, look, you know, that story was um, a very important story. It contained important new information, the first story that appeared in the New York Post, which, which, gave, us, which gave us documentary data emails for the first time we've ever really had, showing exactly what Hunter Biden was up to and using his father's name. And then, of course, we had Tony Bobolinsky, the man kind of who was the who was the business partner, the intended business partner of Hunter Biden, came out and came out with his press conference last week. The media has gone out of their way to actually, but I mean, either to to di- ignore the story, to discredit it, to deny it, say it's part of Russian Russian disinformation. Jordan, I've never seen anything like it. Like, well, but I'm there's nothing close. Today, Brian, that, you know that remarkable statement which I think you've had on your show already from National Public Radio last week, saying we're not going to do a story that nobody uh, that, that that is uh, that is a distraction. I mean. This is just covering for a presidential candidate. It's not covering a presidential candidate. And, Gerard, here's the quote. Uh, It says, we don't have to – we don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories, and we don't want to waste our listeners' and readers' time on stories that are just pure distractions. What does that mean? You have a guy that said there that that in an email exchange says, don't ever refer to Joe in in writing – only face to face, and Tony Bobolinsky is said they met, and he's going to be on with Tucker tonight. And you have pictures yeah. with him with Hunter's partners, and and with other people in Kazakhstan that evidently was it when it, uh, were in uh, in bed with them in some type of deal. It's an important story, uh, Brian. And normally in these circumstances, you would expect the media to follow up there, you know it, it, this is this is the way that journalism typically works right one news organization gets a story like that other news organizations eager to yeah. um, you know competitive instinct follow up find out more because there's a lot of unanswered questions right in those e- in those emails we don't know exactly whether you know Joe Biden denies that he was involved. The Wall Street Journal had a story saying that one of the guys involved in the business didn't know that Joe Biden was involved. Bobolinsky himself said Joe Biden knew all about it. Follow up. That's what you do. You find out what the truth is. You talk to more people. You expose more and more information. That's the whole point of journalism is to is to apply you know a light to the dark corners of of, of the public world. And that's exactly what you know what journalists are supposed to do. They just decided to. Ignore this. Look, ignore this story because the whole strategy of most of the media for the last few months has been to kind of put a kind of cordon, put a kind of wall around. And by the way, big tech is exactly the same with Twitter and Facebook suppressing this story. Put a kind of a wall around Joe Biden to protect him, to make sure that nothing bad can happen to him, nothing can be exposed about him in the in the days before the, the presidential election. That is not proper journalism. It's not proper accountability. Frankly, it's not really how a democracy works. Gerard Baker with us the Wall Street Journal. But in your story, you also quote Dave Remnick, which I had forgotten, editor of New Yorker. Yeah. After Donald Trump is elected, wrote a definitive call to arms 
on the soon after Donald Trump took office in a piece claiming the country had entered a state of emergency and that a full-scale resistance was required for journalists. That meant being fair to both sides was out the window. So, of course, we're watching a nonstop attack. If the president does something good, they talk about something else. If uh, the pandemic is getting bad, they bring it front and center. If the economy is doing well, they avoid it on all costs. They bring out stories that don't exist like this. Russia is responsible for uh, President Trump's victory and that the Ukrainian call is worthy of impeachment. That's the point, Brian. And, 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 you know, again, that is what a lot of the media did. You know, in November 2016, they basically said, uh, and I actually, I'm telling you, Brian, I seriously, I had conversations with journalists who said exactly this to me. This is like Germany in 1933. Adolf Hitler's just been elected uh, chancellor. Donald Trump's like a modern day version of Adolf Hitler. And it's our job in the media not to, you know, not to do the usual job of calling balls and strikes and, you know, holding both sides to account. It's now our job to be part of the resistance. I, I heard this a lot from a lot of journalists back then. By the way, but one of the main reasons they said that was that they were um, putting about the story that Donald Trump had been elected because he was helped by Russia, because yeah. he colluded with a foreign government, a foreign ad- adversary to become to, – and they spent three years telling us telling us that that was the truth. It wasn't the truth. As we know, there was no collusion. That was, in the end, uh, a completely made-up, completely fictitious story, and yet they justif- they used it to justify this unbelievably hostile approach to to covering Trump. There's nothing wrong, Brian. You know, you, you've been a journalist, I've been a journalist for a long time. There's absolutely nothing wrong with ex- with examining when, it, when when a president is elected, his program, his platform, looking into what he's done. That's exactly what, the, what should happen. That's exactly the way journalism should work. It should hold government accountable. They decided, though, in 2016 that this was different, that they weren't just going to hold him accountable. They were going to bend all of their resources and all of their reporting right. to, to, to attacking him and doing nothing whatsoever, nothing whatsoever, to hold the opposition well, and, to and it. I'll give and that's where we are now. I'll give you an example. Uh, I don't love the way we're handling Afghanistan. I don't love that we pulled our troops rapidly out of Syria and left the Kurds exposed. You know, there, there are different things that have happened. You comment on it. You, you ride the waves. I look at the Wall right. Street Journal. I think the Wall Street Journal is extremely fair. You don't kiss the president's uh, butt every day. A lot, of, a, lot of cra- uh, a lot of criticism, but that's what you're about. But you're giving them a fair shot. What just happened over the last two weeks with Twitter beginning over the last three months, taking freezing the president's account uh, with Twitter, freezing out the New York Post Twitter account because they posted this story for people who wanted to retweet this story, having their accounts frozen, having YouTube combined with Facebook to do the same thing. I have never seen it so egregious. This is not even debatable. It doesn't get to the 90-second why for a nice little forum. This is, I don't want President Trump elected. I will do anything to stop it. It's, it's got to be alarming. I, th- I hear it in your voice. I saw it in your words this morning. I am totally alarmed by this. I you, I couldn't put it better myself. I, it, it is look, and the problem here is that you know you get people who say, well, Twitter and Facebook they're just private companies. You know, you don't people don't have to read Twitter and Facebook. Twitter and Facebook are the gatekeepers for you know Facebook. In Facebook's case, well over half the news that, that people get comes through Facebook. Twitter is the gatekeeper for all journalists, right? They yeah. can, they influence the flow of information, the flow of news, no the national conversation in a way that no other organizations literally do. They just don't. They they have. They they are far more powerful than you know the Wall Street Journal or Fox News or 
for that matter, the New York Times or CNN or anything. They, ha- they control the flow of information. And if they turn it off, if they decide to just turn off the tap and say, no, this bit of information is not going to get out there, fewer and fewer people see it. And that's, that's a real challenge for democracy. I, I agree, and people are overseas and they're seeing it. And I open up today, and you you appreciate this. I always watch Sky and BBC. I'm up at two thirty in the morning, you know, in my office by three three thirty, and I'll flip around just see what everyone's covering. They're leading with this story, and they're yeah. they are yeah. not really acknowledging that there's an imbalance in the way this is all covered. And I'm a little I'm almost embarrassed by the way some people are observing the way the president's portrayed. As if he's never done anything right. The economy wasn't rolling. He's solely responsible for the pandemic. My goodness, look at Italy. Look at Spain. Look at France. Look at the U.K. If Donald Trump is doing such a terrible job, then who is doing a good job? Tell me the country that's got it. Taiwan. No, it's no, it's right. I mean, and the, you know, the, again, this story that the, you know the Democrats keep putting out, and as you say, is all funded, all supported by the media. This idea that you know the president is responsible for two hundred twenty thousand deaths. As you say, the deaths, you know, tragic as they are, the deaths per million in this country are almost exactly the same as the UK. They're very similar to France, Italy, Spain. Um, you know, most most of the major Western countries with free systems with systems where people where you know where we can't we can't though though some people try we can't generally control people's movements those countries have had very very similar outcomes you know could could some things have been done yet been done better yes could other things have been have been things sure. things been done better in the united states you know the united states is further along probably in a vaccine than other countries the united states you know did has got you know is testing more people in the world so the united states has done some things well it's done some things less well but the idea that the us is doing just you know, is an outlier and it's all entirely donald trump the fact that the us is um, you know the, the fact that people are dying is just completely bogus but as you say brian it, that doesn't that story doesn't get told Gerard, you might not know the answer to this but the story is that the wall street Journal had an option to take a look at some of these emails and publish this story, and you didn't. Do you know what went into that, or if that's true? I don't know anything about that. I mean, I do. I know they published a story uh, last week on the basis of, I think, you know, reading the story and all. I, I just read the story as a reader. To read the story, they did publish a story uh, shortly after uh, Bobolinsky did his press conference last week, which which laid out, you know, the story, which quoted some people who had been involved in the deal with him, which, as I said earlier, which which said. Which, which, which quoted one of the people involved in the deal saying that Biden didn't know anything about uh, about what, what was going on, whereas Bobolinsky said it did. So, I mean, I think I think the journal did a you know perfectly uh, perfectly straightforward piece of reporting on the topic. Um, it, you know, none of it, none of none of any of this takes away the fact that there are profoundly important questions still that haven't been answered. I'll be looking forward to seeing, you know, Tucker Carlson with Tony Bobolinsky, and we know Bobolinsky spoke to the FBI last week. We'll you know we'll see where this story goes, but the idea that it just you know, yeah. it kind of doesn't exist and can be sort of just thrown down the memory hole and nobody should talk about it between now and November the 3rd is, again, as I said, it's, just, it's fundamentally undemocratic. I know you're going to be doing a, a town hall with Charles Payne making money uh, at 2 o'clock Eastern time on FBN. Gerard Baker, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Always great to have you on. Uh, so we'll take some calls. one 408 Back in a moment. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. Fracking is saving Pennsylvania families $2,500 a year, at least. And it's saving families all over the country. We are energy independent, and you're a big part of it. And they want to end that. And that's true. Uh, And that's what the president brought up. And then he rolled a tape of Joe Biden banning fracking, saying over and over again, banning fracking. Kamala Harris, I'm going to ban fracking. AOC, I'm going to ban fracking. Well, he says, I'm in control of the party now. But how much control do you have if you do get lucky and get the Senate, too? Here he is opening up a a ad lib, ad hoc press conference by saying something that's clearly penetrating with the people. Cut seven. I'm not shutting down oil fields. I'm not eliminating fracking. I'm investing in clean energy, and we're going to make sure that we don't continue to subsidize the oil companies. There's two estimates. They get somewhere between $25 billion and $40 billion in subsidies. That money should go in to making sure we do a lot of other good things. Okay, keep in mind, no one's talking subsidies, don't deflect. Number two, you have said that in the past. Number three, look at your platform. Your platform talks about phasing them out. Maybe that makes you happy because you are an environmentalist who thinks that's the future. My future is now. Our future today is being number one and energy independent. I don't want to give that up, but you are if you're voting for this guy. Diana, listening in Ohio. Hey, Diana. Hey, Brian, how are you? Good. Real quick, what's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to let you know that my dad, who is 88 years old in September, has been a lifelong Democrat. My sister and I are Republicans, but he has been a Democrat. First time he got his ballot, he voted Republican. Fantastic. Darren, listening on Long Island, WABC. Darren. Hey, Brian, how are you? Good. What what do you Uh, you sense on the ground? Well, I just came from the uh, polling place in uh, Levittown Town Hall. I'm from Bethpage. I wore my. I got there at eight o'clock in the morning. I wore my Trump 2020 mask, and as I was walking out, I was getting thumbs up, head nod, head nods from everyone. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I think we really do have a, a good chance of uh, flipping New York here. Well, I brought that up to him two weeks ago on television, and he'd like to do it. As people say, it's not. I mean, he lost by 30 points last time, but the president also saluted Long Island for their huge caravan to the Hamptons last weekend. So he also noticed that they had won the week before. But the problem is New York City. New York City is vehemently anti-Trump, even though it's been destroyed. A lot of them have moved out to Long Island, New Jersey, and Connecticut. So we'll see if that perhaps... It does something the Democrats went out of Texas, and that's flip it. The president still wants to come out. I would not be surprised if he planned at least one rally here because he, he does like it here. When we come back, Adam Goodman, do a simulcast of Barney and Company. We finish up with calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
in the most voter suppressed state in the country. You're already seeing record turnout. And so much of that is fueled by black voters and Latino voters and voters in communities of color, precisely the ones that we're turning out today with the Texas organizing project. So this is Biden's state to lose. And we are doing our part here in Texas. We would love to see uh, Joe Biden come down here as well. And I'm sure Beto O'Rourke would be in a, a cabinet for Joe Biden. They want him to be a gun czar so we can bring some of that majesty of ban taking everyone's guns uh, on demand. Uh, bring some of that to Texas. That'd certainly be welcome. Adam Goodman is a Republican strategist who advised Rudy Giuliani, John McCain, Jeb Bush, and so many others, both sides of the aisle. Uh, and welcome back, Adam Goodman. Great to be back with you. I, I was actually laughing when I heard that clip from Beto O'Rourke. Like, Joe Biden is now in a position where Texas is his to lose. So, but the one thing I have to say, some of the polls are close enough, three or four points, where they have— they have Republicans and the Trump team knocking on doors in Texas. It shows it is close, right? Well, we're thinking that I think the, the Trump campaign is taking nothing for granted in, in any place. Uh, but there are a couple things going on. One is the refuse to answer percentage in, in polling where people uh, who are reached say we, we're not going to tell you who we're voting for has reached as high as six to eight percent in some of these polls. You know that the refuse to answer is going to favor Trump voters, especially in the cancel culture movement. So I always think that's an advantage. And Trump always had, I think, a, a base that was less vocal about who they were behind, but more uh, there when it really counted on Election Day. So I think if you look at all these polls, including Texas, Georgia, you could say it could be a, a tight race, but it shouldn't be a tight race. I think they're all going to come home. And, Brian, we're, we're looking at a president. Uh, who now is the underdog, which, which, you know, America loves an underdog, who has such energy and is so out there right now. Uh, I think that the late foot, which Republicans are going to need to have on Election Day in particular to win, I think it's going to be there. And this whole campaign uh, electorally is coming down, in my opinion, to Florida, Pennsylvania, North Carolina um, and Arizona. Arizona hasn't elect, uh, voted for a Democratic nominee since 1996. It's fact, it's the only time Arizona's gone Democrat since 1972. So I think when it's all said and done, we're going to have a very long election night, which I think will lead to an even longer election week as we try to figure out who actually prevailed. But I think finally, you can see that the president is on a trajectory to win. Wow. And you you were not saying I know this for a fact. You were not saying that a couple of weeks ago. So let's break down some of the states and what's going on. For example, Florida changed dramatically. You guys are, are getting about a thousand uh, a thousand new people a day or a week. I've got this stunning number. And then <laughs> right. Texas, the same thing, because people love the taxes and the, and the the lack of taxes. And they like the uh, the obviously the weather in Florida. I don't it's hard to find a poll where Trump's in front. We found one Rasmussen. What are you seeing? Well, the, the polls, the RCP, Real Clear Politics Average in Florida, is about one point right now. Here's what is really going on, though. It's fascinating. On, on the mail vote, Democrats are up 615,000 votes. You think, oh, my God, it's done. Well, on the early voting, the Republicans have paired the 615 down to 315, uh, actually uh, down to 300, because they're up 317,000 in the early vote. So the bottom line right now in Florida in terms of Republican and Democrat uh, votes in, is the Democrats hold a 298,000 vote advantage going into today. Sounds big, right? Yep. Uh, according to every model that Republicans uh, have used and have actually accurately predicted elections there for the last 20 years, 
we need, we the Republicans need to be at about 350, 300, 350 to win going into Election Day, uh, because Election Day is always a big day for Republicans. We are ahead of that number already, uh, at, since we're only down 298,000. The question mark is, will there be any dramatic Republican defection from the president to Joe Biden, an unknown? Uh, this model assumes 88 to 90 percent of Republicans will vote Republican. If that holds, looking at these numbers, uh, uh, as a person who observes Florida politics, he is moving and moving quickly to win that state. Very interesting because uh, there's a lot of things going on. We keep hearing about suburban women moving from the president but picking up the Latino vote to the president. And believe it or not, I'm hearing positive things about the president with African-Americans, especially young ones, which um, – you know, I thought they could have been a job. Uh, they did a lot of good things with the policy, but not with the communication. So that gives him a lot of hope in Florida. If you don't win Florida, you don't win. Now, in Pennsylvania, the real clear average has the president trailing by about uh, about five points. But if you saw him yesterday, the enthusiasm on the ground in three events, he's going to be going back a couple more times. What are you reading into those numbers? Uh, look at the latest poll that came out saying the president's up one that was taken on Sunday. Joe Biden had a really bad Pennsylvania debate on the whole fracking mess up. I mean, he's on all ends of the fracking, but so he's he's really upsetting the environmentalists. He's not uh, uh, he's not really reinforcing those on the other side. He went after oil and gas. Like, I'm sorry, I know you like your cheap energy, uh, Pennsylvania and America. I'm taking that away from you as quickly as I can. And then there's the Boilermakers. You talk about a sign. The Boilermakers Union, uh, the local, biggest union in the country, is Local 151 in Pittsburgh. For the first time in history, they are endorsing Donald Trump. And the thing uh, is, though- Joe Biden put out that they endorsed him, and that's wrong. We interviewed uh, the local union. They said, we didn't endorse him. That's right. And, and on what I'm hearing from people in the, the heartland of Pennsylvania is that what happened at the debate so enraged people. In fact, I think the most Googled item that night was oil and gas. And uh, one one poll survey suggested that 57 percent of voters who hadn't voted are going to reconsider based on what they learned in the debate. I think Pennsylvania is completely up for grabs. If it goes to Donald Trump and Donald Trump wins because of Pennsylvania, you'll look back at that 60 second clip of Joe Biden late into the debate and wearing down where he really lost it. And I'll I'll give you this. And the other thing is that what the president's got to do is understand that the power of the left wing on Joe Biden. He keeps saying, I'm the nominee, but the squad thinks they have a say. AOC is an advisor. Listen to Congresswoman Elon Omar, cut 14. The president is only as successful um, as his collaboration is with with Congress. And we we will have um, a, a cohort of progressives that are very clear about their objectives for wanting the implementation of you know, Medicare for all and a Green New Deal um, and raising the minimum wage and, and not allowing for fracking. Uh, they keep saying that, not allowing for fracking. Uh, and he says, I want to phase out oil and gas. How do you feel if you're in Texas, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania and Ohio? If this you understand better than anybody, Brian, we are a center right country. If you look at uh, Gallup and other surveys that have been taken the last six months, 70 to 80 percent of America identifies either as conservative or in the middle, basically a center right coalition. Had this is this were a referendum on that this campaign, 
it would be a landslide already in favor of the president. No question, in oil and gas, uh, fossil fuels, alternative energies is right into the, the heart of that, uh, that fault line in America. So, and, and that's why I think people are really upset. It's not, by the way, just in Ohio, West Virginia, uh, Texas, Pennsylvania. It's actually across the country because the last thing you want to do in a pandemic uh, is hit people harder in the pocketbook. So Ohio, the president is actually leading in most of those polls. He won by eight last time. And the word is they're pulling a lot of their ads are the Biden people. But they're really worried are the Republicans in Wisconsin, uh, despite the, the USMCA and the dairy farmers that are there. Uh, they are getting hit pretty hard by the pandemic. That's the wild card. Well, I, if you can, if you take Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, give all those to the Democrats. As long as there are no shockers on election night, like a Texas that flips, if the president of the United States carries Pennsylvania, where he's trending up, Florida, where the numbers say he's going to win, North Carolina, which I think is definitely coming home, and Arizona, which hasn't voted for more than one Democrat in 50 years uh, for president, uh, I think uh, what you do end up with is an electoral number uh, where Donald Trump wins re-election by six electoral votes. And once again, we'll leave America scratching their collective heads over how did this guy do it. Interesting. So uh, it's uh, closing in. And the one thing is for certain is we don't know what's around the bend. We've had nonstop surprises. But I'll tell you what, I've never seen the president happier, more enthusiastic after three events in Pennsylvania yesterday, he flies back and presides over the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett and seemed like he just got up after 12 hours of sleep. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it at 74 years old, just coming off the, off the coronavirus, which they say uh, tires you out for months. Uh, let's see. You know I what guess, it is, Brian? Go ahead. You know what it is? Donald Trump just won't quit, whereas Joe Biden is looking down at his watch. He did that twice in the debate, saying to himself, when is this thing going to be over? So we could just become president. Uh, that's not the yeah. way American people like it. Uh, and that's why the whole thing about Park Avenue doesn't stick to Trump because he acts like a blue collar guy. Adam Goodman, fascinating exactly. story, fascinating column. I appreciate it. You can follow him at Adam Goodman three on Twitter. Adam, thank you. Take care of yourself, Brian. You got it. Uh, we're going to come back to Stuart Varney to have FBN. You'll finally see what I look like. Brian Kilmeade show. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. In a matter of moments, I'll be going on FBN, Fox Business Network, to talk to Stuart Varney. Uh, we're going to be talking about two things. We're going to be talking about the riots in Philadelphia, 30 cops hurt, uh, and more probably to come as they try to wreck the place and loot the place because of a uh, the police had to shoot a guy who was attacking them with a knife. And his, um, and his, uh, and his name was... Uh, his name is right here. Um, his name is Walter Wallace. So let's listen in. 1051, you know what that means? Brian Kilmeade joins us now. All right, Brian, I want you to address the violence in Philadelphia overnight. It was a riot, essentially. I think there are political implications from this. For example, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it's a swing state. I want to know what Joe Biden thinks about defunding the police or reallocating funds for the police. 
I think there's political implications in a swing state. What say you? Well, a couple of things. Joe Biden will continue to say, no, I'm, I'm for police, uh, but I also would, uh, open to redirecting money. He said that before. The problem is with Joe Biden is he is uh, for de- not for defunding the police, but everyone around him is. And when it comes to law enforcement, when has he ever spoken out organically and said what happened last night in Chicago, Portland, Seattle, uh, was abhorrent? What was going on in New York can't stand. When pressed, he answers. But when not pressed, he doesn't. He wants no part of it because most of his Democratic base feels as though the police are the problem. That's sad, but that is true. And last night with 30 cops hurt because a man charging at cops with a knife was shot and he happened to be uh, African-American, black. Then all of a sudden it's a racial issue. It's time to loot the stores, destroy, uh, take inventory, um, let's start uh, destroying businesses that are already stressed. And I'll tell you, keep in mind, who was in Philadelphia last week? President Obama. That's where he broke in to help out Joe Biden. There's concern already in Pennsylvania, concern already among African-Americans who stayed home instead of voting for Hillary, were out to vote for President Obama, and he's trying to get them all going again. I'm not sure that this is something that would exercise them, but I tell you, the people of Philadelphia, uh, the people of Pennsylvania, they don't want the anarchy. Yeah, the suburban women around Philadelphia, I don't think they want what happened last night in Philadelphia. But, Brian, while we got you, I want to get your take on Hillary Clinton. She's still claiming that the 2016 election was stolen from her. Hold on a second. Don't explode just yet, uh, uh, Brian. Watch this. I was the candidate who won, you know, nearly three million more votes. And people fight about it every day online because there is a deep sense of unfairness and just dismissiveness toward his victory. And he knows it. I'm not quite sure I understand that. What do you think? Uh, what do you take from that, Brian? Well, this is every child watching, or if you're sitting there with your parent, if you're forced to, to study on Zoom and it's your lunch break, keep in mind, this is how not to act if things don't get your way. She blamed the James Comey letter. She blamed disinformation from right-wing Republicans. Wait a second. An opposing campaign says something you don't like about you? Since when is that uh, allowed? That's called every day in every campaign, big and small. She said she was born to be president. Right there, that is the problem. As if it, does, it belongs to her, she deserves it. Bottom line is, it went from how did Hillary lose to how did she become the nominee. Among Democrats, the problem with Hillary, she's totally unlikable. Not that she's not smart, not that she's not experienced. She is not likable. And when Brock, when President Trump came in and was the outsider, people dismissed him as a legitimate candidate, even Republicans. We all know what happened. But this is how not to lose. In fact, Stuart, think about it, Stuart. The first time we ever heard that Donald Trump won was only over the last six, seven months when the Democratic nominee, when we knew it was Joe Biden, was starting to strategize how to win this time. I said, wait a second. Are you admitting that Donald Trump won? It wasn't the Russians, the Ukrainians. It wasn't Jill Stein. You're saying the president actually won? And now that they see the pattern coming out again, they're wondering, who do I blame this time? In fact, you have Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all other uh, uh, outlets conspiring to make sure he doesn't win. There's another trend coming out this time, same as 2016. The poor campaign being run by Joe Biden. He's just not out and about. Hillary was criticized for not getting out and about to say Michigan in 2016. The same pattern being repeated now. Can you imagine if a team told you we're better off with you on the bench? His team 
is saying, Joe, I thought about it. The best way for us to win, we've done, we looked at the pie charts and the bar graphs, is for you not to talk. Think about it. On the debate, the fracking comments, getting rid of oil and gas, well, the numbers that he got wrong, what he said the other day about getting free college and having the numbers way off, what he's talking about free college for people already getting financial aid, that's not even the issue. So for every time Joe Biden talks, they have to walk something back. You saw when he came out and said, called those uh, Trump supporters chumps the other day. Is that the wisest thing? Now they say, I won. Let us go. He yep. thinks he won. I'm going to hold the ball and stay home. He got so embarrassed, he quickly put together a press conference, went to Pennsylvania yesterday. And you have another guy doing the exact opposite. I'm Americans go. respect work. <laughs> I'm right up against a hard break, Brian. You know about how that works, all right? Yes. Mr. Kilmeade, see you next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks for sharing Big your Big show audience. coming up for you. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, 1-866-408-7669. So I got about a minute here, right? Let's go to Joe and WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Great show. Listen, Biden shot him. Just listen. Yeah, you think he's running for Senate against a guy named George. The Republicans <laughs> should be vetting Harris, not Biden. It's Kamala Harris. Uh, who will be the president within months. That's who Obama and Clinton, the puppet masters, wanted. But she was only polling 1%, so they had to pull her out quick and throw in a patsy like they did back in uh, 08 when using Biden. They needed the white. Harris is a Farrakhan, sharpened disciple. And she views the world through the prism of black and white, just like Barack Obama. And that's from his words. And she, they thought she'd be uh, a female Obama, fundamentally changed the country social, to socialists, she was picked because of the color of her skin. Her rhetoric includes statements, vicious statements. Uh, they ain't going to stop until Hey, Joe, you're really not lying because the president said, I'm going to be picking minority and African-American. That's what I'm going to be looking for. That's what the vice president brought up. And Kamala Harris didn't know the issues. Barack Obama knew the issues. Kamala Harris failed miserably. President Obama won. He was Senator Obama and destroyed the Clinton machine. She is not Barack Obama. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Lindsey Graham coming up shortly. And then uh, political genius, town hall editor, Fox News contributor, Katie Pavlich will be here live. Uh, her contacts, her insight is invaluable, especially at a time in which very few people can say definitively what is going on. I know for sure I can't count on the polls. Not with the hidden Trump voter. And I don't say hide because they're embarrassed. I hide because they just don't need the conflict in their lives. And they just don't want to hear it. They just like where it's going, and they're getting concerned, concerned about their opponent, the opponent who is against natural resources, against oil and gas and fracking immediately in a time in which we have economic strife, and they're going to raise minimum wage to the point where these businesses already stressed will break. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If everyone agrees that this is something that's important, 
I think that would be a great idea to have everybody do it uniformly. If people are not wearing masks, then maybe we should be mandating it. Well, well, just make it up as we go along. Dr. Fauci again, COVID-19 challenging Americans from coast to coast. The battle, the politics, and the new push for a national mask mandate. Number two. The oath that I have solemnly taken tonight means at its core that I will do my job without any fear or favor, independently of both the political branches and of my own preferences. The Supreme Court has nine justices. It was just officials. She was sworn in as a Supreme Court justice now and Associate Justice Amy Coney Barrett. The reaction, the Democratic outrage in their plans for revenge to restructure a branch of government. Number one. I'm going to be going to Iowa. I'm going to Wisconsin. I'm going to Georgia. I'm going to Florida and maybe other places as well. There has not been a day that hadn't been a 12-hour day yet. Really? Uh, Most of it behind closed doors. State of the game with one week to go. The polls, the events, the messages, and Joe Biden's strategy to run out the clock as opposed to doing three events a day like the president of the United States. It's usually just the opposite. But we don't know the president's the underdog for obvious reasons. All the media is against him. He's made mistakes, no question. A pandemic like we've never seen. And then we have the impeachment that took place, the Mueller report that was relentless. So far, so many of you have voted already. We're talking about 60 million votes. The number one, Texas, 7.3. Number two, California, 6.5. Florida's got over 6 million. Uh, Texas technically has become a surprise swing state as Trump and Biden within four points of each other. Kamala Harris now planning a campaign stop there. But they have not put in the type of money to really make a dent. So President Trump. Uh, Today, will be in Lansing, Michigan. He'll also be in West Salem, Wisconsin. Pretty close. He'll also be in Omaha, Nebraska. Tomorrow, Bullhead City, Arizona, uh, as well as Goodyear, Arizona. These are some cities and places he simply has got to win to hold. Now, Joe Biden will be in Warm Springs, Georgia. Take your time. That's where FDR famously tried to recover from polio. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia is where he'll be a little bit later after that today. But he does in front of really small crowds. They're in cars. And he doesn't do much local media. When he does, he gets four softball questions and tends to yell them out. Here is uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and he is uh, the man who uh, shepherded through uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who's officially now on the Supreme Court. Feel good, Senator? I feel really good. Uh, I want to thank the president for nominating Judge Barrett. and She's one of the most impressive people I've ever met. She handled the confirmation hearing great, and Senator McConnell's legacy is going to be uh, working with President Trump and all of us to get a— uh, about 220 or 30 conservative judges on the court, as well as three three Supreme Court justices. So if you believe in uh, conservative judges, your ship has come in in the last four years. And you feel as though you had to pull yourself off a campaign trail in a very tight race to do it. Do you think this is your campaign poster? Yeah. I, well, I think from a personal point of view, being the chairman of the committee uh, that shepherded uh, Judge Barrett through the committee process and uh, is one of the highlights of my career as a senator. I just uh, feel very honored to, to have been able to do that. The Senate Judiciary Republicans were just terrific. We didn't take the bait. Quite frankly, my Democratic colleagues uh, were challenging, but I don't think they crossed the line. So I'm hoping that the hearings in the future will be more like Barrett and less like Kavanaugh. But from a personal point of view, it's like the weight of the world off my shoulder because I've been worrying for two weeks here. What are they up to? What kind of 
last minute surprise will they drop on us, but it, it was not to be. So she's on the court and America's better off for it. Well, and I know I could see the relief last night. You know, I was showing Hannity on TV and the president mentioned you last night from the Rose Garden. But I want the backlash has begun. And Elon oh Omar, gosh. AOC, have already said, let's uh, pack the court. Listen to what Senator Richard Blumenthal and, and Senator Chuck Schumer said. Cut 23. Nothing less than everything is at stake. A shift in the balance of the court that will last for decades if we do not act to correct it. And believe me, there are appropriate measures that should be considered. And the next time the American people give Democrats a majority in this chamber, you will have forfeited the right to tell us how to run that majority. So what's he talking about? They're talking about packing the court, and they're talking about getting rid of the filibuster. They basically just guaranteed yeah. it. Yeah, well, they're talking about revenge. I mean, Chuck Schumer and Harry Reid, in my view, did a lot of damage to the Senate, particularly the judicial nominating process. you got to remember it was the uh, Senator Kennedy and Senator Schumer came up with the idea of filibustering Bush 43 judges. I was in the gang of 14 that said you shouldn't filibuster uh, judicial nominations unless there was an extraordinary cause. You got to you got to remember Clarence Thomas, as contentious as that was, nobody required a sixty vote uh, threshold to get onto the nomination. Not one Democrat, as much as they dislike Clarence Thomas, called for a filibuster. This is sort of the Schumer's uh, idea back in uh, the Bush forty three days. Then in twenty thirteen, it was Senator Schumer and Harry Reid that changed the rules for a simple majority for district court judges. And circuit court judges, and that set in motion uh, sort of what you see today. Judge Gorsuch, uh, Justice Gorsuch, was filibustered three times, uh, first partisan filibuster in the history of the Senate, requiring us to change the rules for the Supreme Court. So I don't really don't need a lecture from Senator Schumer about a lecture. I think he's done a lot of damage to the court. But here's here's the good news. The American people elected President Trump. They gave him a Senate majority to work with. We've used that majority uh, without breaking any rules wisely, and the court's the biggest beneficiary. If you believe in conservative judges, Mm -hmm. judges who know the difference between their job and mine, and it's been a great four years, and I think the best is yet to come. But if you lose the majority in the Senate and the White House, it will change, and they will add to the, and it will change a total branch of government. It will. They will expand the. There are several options. They can rotate justices off the court, undoing the conservative majority we work for. They could go from 9 to 13. Uh, They will be pushed by the left. Senator Schumer has AOC breathing down his throat, his neck. And uh, all I can say is that the radical element of the Democratic Party, if they have their way, they will pack the court. They will abolish the Electoral College, meaning New York and California. But they won't do that without an amendment, right? Isn't the Electoral College require an amendment? That's 70 votes. It's a statutory thing. It's not set up. So the the, the court is statutory. We'll we'll see. There are some legal challenges to the Electoral College, but they're going to go to open borders under the border security president Trump has put in place. And they literally will offer illegal immigrants free health care, which will flood the country again. Uh, Health care, as you know, it won't exist. The private sector will collapse under Medicare for all. 
the goal is to destroy private sector health care, so we'll all have to be under the government control. Now, that's a parade of horribles. But for 30 seconds, what if President Trump wins, we keep the Senate? Four more years of judges, probably one or two more Supreme Court justices, more border security, a strong military, cutting taxes, uh, restarting the economy after we defeat the virus. Uh, it's just an incredible difference in where the country will go. Here is Joe Biden, cut 26. There is a question about whether or not it's a lifetime appointment. I'm not going to attempt to change that at all. There's some literature among constitutional scholars about the possibility of going from one court to another court, not just always staying the whole time in the Supreme Court. But I have made no judgment, my word. My words about I've made no judgment. They're just a group of serious constitutional scholars have a number of ideas how we should proceed from this point on. Because he says the course out of whack. This is the way it's always been done after 150 years. Do you really, you know Joe Biden, do you really think he thinks the court's out of whack? No, I think Joe Biden is along for the ride, to be honest with you. I like Joe personally. Bottom line is that the energy in the Democratic Party is not in the Joe Biden lane. It's in the Bernie Sanders lane in terms of economic policy. AOC, Omar, the whole crowd in terms of how you structure the government. They're losing under the founding fathers' concept of America, an electoral college where all states have a say, a hundred and something years of nine justices. Uh, they want D.C. to become a state. D.C. residents can vote in uh, Maryland or Virginia. They should not be a state. The whole goal was to create a District of Columbia so one state wouldn't have an advantage over the others when it came to the nation's capital. The bottom line is they're going to transform the structure of America for an advantage for liberalism. If we can keep the Senate, that's an insurance policy. My opponents raised $109 million, the most in the history of the United States Senate. They want to take me out because of uh, Kavanaugh, Barrett, helping Trump. Help me if you can. LindsayGraham.com. I want to end strong. I need, I need some support. Your audience has been great. LindsayGraham.com. Help us all. Bottom line is we got to disrupt this effort to change America. Well, it, it would change radically. So when you see the president doing three events a day, you've been critical before. Even though you're pulling for him, you, when he does stuff that you, can't, that you think is bad, uh, you let him know. Right. I think he's on a bit of a roll now. I talked to him last night for a long time. He's, uh, I think he's on a real roll. Look at – this has been a consequential first term. I'd put it up there with Ronald Reagan. The military was broken. It is strong. The caliphate is destroyed. Iran's in a box. Peace agreements all over the Mideast. We took a border in chaos, brought order to it. Mexico is helping us, not undercutting us. Uh, the tax cuts energized the economy before the virus. President Trump is your best bet to recover the economy after we get a vaccine. On the judge front, he's the most consequential conservative president maybe in the history of the country in terms of what he's done for the judiciary. So I'm meeting the vice president today in South Carolina. And this first term of Trump-Pence, from a conservative's point of view, has been astonishing. And finally, African-American and Latino families prospered greatly before the virus hit under Trump policies, and they will again. This is why I think he's going to win. He's really energized, and just stay on message, Mr. President. This is a choice election. 
And lastly, the Mark Meadows said this Sunday. Here's what we have to do. We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation. Why aren't we going to get... So he said that, and then everyone went to town. Is that essentially correct when you look at Italy, France, England, uh, Poland, Russia, all going through the same thing? Well, it's a worldwide problem, and it's a resilient virus. Once we get a vaccine... That begins. That's the beginning of the end of the virus, and that will one day happen. So you got to look at what will America look like after the virus. We will defeat this virus. Will it be higher taxes? Will it be lower taxes? Will it be conservative judges, liberal judges, strong foreign policy, weak foreign policy, open borders, secure borders? People need to think about that. But here's what I would say: We can manage this. We can deal with hot spots. The goal is to keep hospitals from being overrun until we get a a vaccine. In that regard, I think we can manage the virus, wash our hands, social distance, wear a mask, until we get a vaccine. The concern is that the hospitals fill up, and we can all help avoid that. True. Uh, Wisconsin's a bit of a challenge. Utah's a bit of a challenge right now, and I know El Paso, Texas, a bit of a challenge uh, right now, as well as South Dakota. So we got to withstand it. We know how to fight it. So let's do it. Senator Lindsey Graham, you're going to have to fight all the way. Congratulations on what you already accomplished. Well, thank you. LindseyGraham.com. Let's pour it on. All right. Senator Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. Uh, When we come back, your call is 1-866-408-7669. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm going to go to the state of the race with Katie Pavlich in a couple of minutes, and I want to get to your calls because I know how frustrating and passionate you are. And I want to give you a place to vent and speak. Eddie, you're listening to WABC in beautiful Montclair, New Jersey. Eddie. Hey, how are you there, Brian? Hey, uh, two comments, and you could uh, comment, uh, get off. Uh, as far as Biden goes, without any answers and any, everything, nobody ever asked him who he would consider or, or people ponder who uh, his attorney general would, would be. Uh, this lawlessness in the United States is by design, and they are designing. Nobody ever presses them on that, number one. And number two, as far as the uh, Supreme Court goes, uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg had the opportunity to retire or resign while the Democrats had the yep. presidency and the Senate. Uh, that's, in my mind, I, I don't know her reasons, but it seems like stupidity that you wouldn't take the opportunity at the right juncture. Eddie, and, uh, uh, I'm going to chime in. They thought Hillary was going to win. And she thought, what's the uh, big okay. rush? Well, they, Okay, well, they played, they uh, rolled the dice, and they uh, got the wrong number. All right. Thanks, Eddie. Appreciate it. Linda, WDBO. Hey, Linda. Uh, Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Linda. This is a quick uh, question on Burisma. Yep. I know that the the conventional position of the uh, Dems, which may or may not be accurate, is that when uh, Joe Biden— 
pressured Ukraine to uh, can that particular prosecutor is because that Showcase. particular prosecutor yeah. yes. was corrupt, not doing his job, et cetera, et cetera. And in my mind, for that to work as some sort of defense or explanation, uh, that particular prosecutor had to have been succeeded by a prosecutor who was uh, looking into Burisma and uh, other things that were needed looking into. So my question is, what did go on in turn in-house in the Ukrainian government in terms of uh, uh, investigating corruption after that guy was canned? Well, what happened is they ended up getting a brand new government. The guy was a comedian slash actor. He ended up winning and gutting the whole place anyway. Burisma was a corrupt energy company, but powerful with a lot of powerful people on their board. But the least qualified by far was Hunter Biden. The, name, the reason why he got it was Biden. Now, Linda, I'm going to let somebody else tell me whether Shokin was corrupt or not, people say he was. I'll never know, and I'm not that interested. What I want to know is, was he out there vacuuming up money for his family, like uh, Bobolinsky said he was, and he'll be on uh, He'll be on with Tucker tonight. And I think you at least got to be candid about it, especially while criticizing all Donald Trump's international business deals, which were just legitimate business deals from a businessman. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. If the president wins every state, let's let's take the three Great Lakes states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, put them to the side for a second. If the president wins every one of the rest of the, of the states that he won in 2016 and carries Pennsylvania, he's got 280 electoral votes, 10 more than needed. If he carries Wisconsin out of those three states, only Wisconsin, he's got 270. If he carries Michigan out of those three states and loses Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, he's got 276. These are the path to victory lies in these states. If the president carries Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, then he just needs one more of these states. The, mm. the dangerous, the most dangerous one is Wisconsin, though, because if it's at 270, if he loses either Maine 2 or Nebraska 2, then we've either got a tie in the Electoral College if he loses mm. one or he's down by two if he loses uh, both of them. Wow, can you imagine a tie? I didn't even know there was a statistical tie was possible. Wow, can you imagine that? Katie Pavlich, town editor, town hall editor and Fox News contributor, outstanding contributor all across the network. Katie, welcome back. I just want you to hear uh, Carl talk like the genius he is about different pathways <laughs> to 270 because you look at the polls, you think the president's not going to win a state. Right. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to listen to the Biden campaign now talk about how their path to victory is through the Electoral College, since we've heard so much about uh, getting rid of the Electoral College over all these years. But you're right. I mean, we keep hearing all about the the very limited number of undecided voters who are left. But that's precisely the point. I mean, 2016, these, these races and these states were decided by thousands of votes. I mean, a very tiny sliver of undecided voters went to the polls on Election Day and pushed President Trump over the top. But when I signed up for this interview this morning, I wasn't told that I was going to have to do math, Brian. I, I guess. <laughs> so and there is a sign-in sheet, Katie. Row. There is a sign-in sheet. Uh, but you did fo you focus on where the president was yesterday with three events in Pennsylvania, yep. and he's going to go back. And, and guess who showed up there out of nowhere? Joe Biden. Uh, things mm -hmm. are closing in in Pennsylvania. You actually saw some favorable polls, correct? 
Yeah, I mean, the president you know, has seen some increase in polling in Pennsylvania, while Joe Biden has lost significant territory over the past three weeks before the debate, he was losing ground. And now after um, his comments about fracking and the oil industry, which President Trump has been hammering since last week in Nashville, uh, he's losing even more ground when it comes to, to Pennsylvania. And, you know, we say that he showed up in Pennsylvania, but he really hasn't done a ton of work. I mean, he's 30 miles from his house in Delaware. Um, and I just think it's it's hard to imagine that President Trump would be doing three, four rallies a day and putting in all of this work not to have it come to fruition in some way. Um, uh, I, so I think that's to uh, be seen. But hey, Katie, what do you give to the crowds? I mean, the fact that they're they're packed in, people are focusing on that from the coronavirus perspective. I focus on the passion that they're showing. I heard Wisconsin the other night that it was about 34 degrees. It was rainy. They had to line up about two hours before, and they stood the whole time. I know they're tough people, but that's a lot for a president you've seen a lot of over the last four years. You know, Brian, what I think is the most interesting about these crowds is, A, yes, they are willing to go to extremes to stand in line in freezing cold weather to see the president. But also, if you look at the data that the RNC has been putting about, out about who is going to these rallies, a third of them, most of the time, at all of these rallies are Democrats. They're not just Republicans. And a, a significant number of people who are going to these rallies did not vote in 2016. So we saw this rally phenomenon happen in 2016. It was downplayed as, you know, rallies don't equal voting. Um, And we saw actually they did equal (laughs) voting and enthusiasm for the president, right? So I don't think that you can downplay that, especially when you have people feeling like they can't talk about their political affiliation, feeling like they can't put a Trump sign in their yard. Uh, I I think that you can't ignore uh, these massive crowds that President Trump is getting. Now, I do think that there's a different perspective when it comes to Republicans who support the president and Democrats who support Joe Biden and how they don't want to be in crowds. Trump supporters take the approach of a balanced approach that we have to learn to be cautious and live with the virus, but move on with our lives. Uh, we can't shut everything down and not live, whereas Biden supporters seem to be on the trail of wanting more shutdowns and to stay at home. So that is a different perspective in terms of the number of people who are showing up at these events. But I think when the president says that Joe Biden is barely pulling anyone um, to these very limited events that he's having does indicate a lot when it comes to the places he is he is campaigning in in these final days. And should note the president, uh, President Obama has been to Philadelphia. Now he's, to, he's going to central Florida to help out. But he did wait a long time. And for a guy that's mm-hmm. supposedly so with it, close with his forming running mate, he doesn't do a lot of uh, building up. In fact, his, his first speech in Philadelphia, he barely he just talked about what a, what a bad president President Trump is in his mind. He didn't right. really talk much about Vice yeah, President I, Biden. And in the back of my mind, I remember that statement. He said, "Never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to f things up." <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, let's not forget too that President Obama tried multiple times to convince Joe Biden not to run uh, for president. So here we are with President Obama on the campaign trail trying to keep Joe Biden at arm's length while attempting to convince people to vote for him. Um, it doesn't really seem like an enthusiastic uh, right. situation when you look at it. Um, and let's not forget that President Obama was a terrible 
uh, campaigner for other people in 2016. He completely gutted the DNC. Uh, remember the 2010 shellacking, as he called it, of the turnover of the House to Republicans. You know, President Obama has never been good at campaigning right. for other people and translating his Obama network to different candidates. See, by the way, he left the DNC high and dry. Most of the money went to his super PAC. Mm-hmm. And remember, Debbie Wasserman Schultz oversaw what was, and uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's credit. She said, "There is no money here." There is no structure right. there, and it was anytime you donated to Hillary or the DNC, it went to the same place because they basically took it over. Katie, this is all kind of new to us, but there's 62.6 to start today. 62.6 million people have already voted. A lot of people believe mm-hmm. that that's a tilt towards the Democrats. What do you see in those numbers? Well, I, I, first, I think that the early voting thing is being overblown, and this is why. And this is very simplistic, and it's not scientific. However, people are being encouraged to vote early, and the majority of Americans are still home working from home. So whereas they would regularly have to go to work every day and maybe wait till Election Day to vote because that was the designated time and place to do it, anybody now who's already made up their their mind has a greater ability just based on the situation of the work day to go out and early vote. So I think that the numbers are being a little bit overblown in terms of what they mean. Uh, In terms of what they mean for the president, um, I think it's important for people to look at the state websites about returns rather than look at the polling on this. Hillary Clinton was winning early voting in 2016 and ended up losing on election day. Now that 60 million people hadn't voted early, in 2016, but we also didn't have a pandemic where more people are at home and have more time to go vote on a day that's not necessarily election day, right? So I, I think that's, I don't think people should play into it, it too much. All right, a couple of things. One of the reasons why I don't believe they want Joe Biden talking is what came out of the debate. He came out and said he's going to be gradually getting rid of fossil fuels in 2025. He meant later, but he said it. And then we talk about banning fracking, oil and gas fracking all came out. He's been trying to walk it back since. I think his strongest point, my humble opinion, has been that he's not going to change things too much. He's going to bring more normalcy to the White House. However, when you see what's happening with the fracking and he can't walk it back, when you see how the oil and gas industry is not uh, is, is still ringing in their ears what he said— and then you see what he's saying about the a branch of government and the changes he'll make because of Amy Coney Barrett being the ninth Supreme Court justice. Listen to this. Cut 26. There is a question about whether or not it's a lifetime appointment. I'm not going to attempt to change that at all. There's some literature among constitutional scholars about the possibility of going from one court to another court, not just always staying the whole time in the Supreme Court. But I have made no judgment, my word. The words about make no judgment. They're just a group of serious constitutional scholars. So he's thinking about rotating justices through. Schumer basically said yesterday, goodbye filibuster if we get control of the Senate. Blumenthal, uh, Elon Omar, AOC, and Nancy Pelosi all talked about packing the court. My sense is the American people do not want our system of government overthrown, which has worked pretty well for the last 150 years when it comes to the judicial branch. This thing begins – that's when the earth shakes under their feet, correct? Yeah. I mean if you – and I don't understand the the PR move here. Uh, The majority of American voters uh, as of yesterday when Judge Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed and today officially as the next Supreme Court justice and sworn in – um, 
they wanted her to be confirmed. The more they learned about her, the more they wanted her to be put on the court. Um, and this idea that Joe Biden is going to completely destroy the what we have now and allow a bunch of Washington, D.C. lawyer bureaucrats, as if we don't have enough commissions, to decide what we're going to do with the court system moving forward when we have a constitution that has a lot of what we should be doing uh, in it in terms of this process. Uh, we have the words of Justice Ginsburg, who said nine justices on the court is a good number. Uh, it's just amazing to watch Democrats have a total meltdown over Republicans playing by their rules. You'll remember Mitch McConnell warned Harry Reid not to nuke, nuke the filibuster on judicial nominees. He said he would regret it. Mitch McConnell was completely legitimate in the process. They broke no Senate rules despite the claims, and they got her confirmed. And now all of a the sudden they're outraged, and, right. and because they've lost this, they want to change the rules. When they don't win, they want to change the rules. Same thing happened with the Electoral College. We're seeing now with the judicial system. And they've gone from the term court packing to court reform. But I would— let all the listeners know it means the same thing. They're just trying to soften it up a little bit because it's not a popular concept with the American public. And either is the, what Elon Omar and the squad represent, but they are confident they're going to have a say in this government. Listen to her yesterday, cut 14. A president is only as successful um, as his collaboration is with with Congress. And we, we will have um, a, a cohort of progressives that are very clear about their objectives for wanting the implementation of you know, Medicare for all and a Green New Deal um, and raising the minimum wage and, and not allowing for fracking. Yep, there we go. Uh, they were supposed to be quiet till after Election Day. They're beginning to emerge. <laughs> Yeah, they're uh, they're saying the quiet part out loud. Uh, you know, it's been funny because Biden is portrayed as this guy who could unify the country, but he can't even unify his own party. Uh, and I think if President Trump wants to get him on something else, he should start talking about his cabinet, who would be in charge of, of, of which departments and who would have a say, because uh, it, it's very obvious that Joe Biden is going to be controlled by this up-and-coming progressive wing of the party, which, by the way, ran roughshod over Nancy Pelosi. You don't think they can take over Joe Biden. <laughs> Great He's point, Katie. Katie, I believe this election has not been determined yet and it was going to be won or lost this week. Am I wrong? I completely agree. I don't think that we're done with this. I think that the president is understands that as well. I think he knows that he's working towards the end of this. Um, and I, I don't think that it's completely in the bag at all. I think that we're very close to where we were in 2016. In fact, in a number of these polls, President Trump is closer to Joe Biden uh, although he's still, quote, behind than he was behind Hillary Clinton and ended up beating her right. in places like Pennsylvania. I mean, he was behind in Pennsylvania in 2016 and came and, and came from behind and won it on Election Day. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens. Katie, always get your insight. No one works harder or studies harder than you, too, and, and, and works their contacts uh, with more uh, results. Katie Pavlich, thanks so much. Well, maybe you, Brian. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> I you saying that. that. <laughs> all right, and we'll see Katie all over the channel and, we'll, of course, on Election Day coverage. Uh, back with you and some final thoughts, one 408 This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I have an idea. 
difficulties. I have had, <laughs> and I won't throw any people under the bus, but I have had um, moments where I was on stage receiving an award in front of my peers in Hollywood. And there were people in the crowd that I have prayed with before dinners many times. And when I thank God, I saw some of those people go to clap, but then notice that, <laughs> whoa, whoa, it's going to be a bad thing on my resume, and then sit back on their hands. <laughs> oh, wow. And I've seen people read the room and go, whoa, that wouldn't bode well for me in the future if for getting a job or, or getting votes or what have you. Matthew McConaughey on his book tour, talking to Joe Rogan, this very this uh, unbelievably popular uh, podcast, talking about it, he says, listen, I'm Christian. I'm not spiritual. He rejects that idea uh, that just says uh, I'm spiritual, not religious. He goes, no, I'm religious. And if you read his book, you can see religion played a major role. He did not have the easiest upbringing, had a very volatile uh, set of parents who cared a lot about him, instilled some great values, but it was anything but a normal lifestyle that he had uh, growing up. Uh, but he's he's always been very religious. And I think his book is excellent, by the way. I think he's actually enjoying promoting it. He actually wrote it. He says, my ghostwriter had to be pulled away for another project, or some pandemic project. So he actually wrote almost every word of it. Does that surprise you that he has this side of him? Allison? Um- <laughs> not at all honestly listening to so many of his interviews i agree with you he is all over the place i mean but he came on fox and friends he did joe rogan he was on stern um i think he's truly in, in um enjoying the book but he's also he's really wise and level-headed like i've always liked him as an actor right but every interview i'm hearing of him i'm just like totally wrapped into it and i want to hear the whole thing right uh unlike pete you mean when you say uh, very <laughs> level-headed next exactly Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. There's more to know. <laughs> I forgot the introduction. You never called for it. Let's see. More to know. All right. NASA confirms water has been spotted on the sunlit surface of the moon. Do you think we would have known this already? We've been up there like eight times. The water was spotted near the Clavius Crater, which, you know, you make a right. Uh, when you go, when you land, you just go straight up and make a right, and there you'll find the Clavius tra- Crater. It's one of the largest crater formations on the celestial satellite and one that can be seen with the naked eye. And Casey Hunnibal, lead author of the study, said there were between 100 and 400 parts per millions of water. What does that actually mean? Should we go back now? It actually means there's less water than there is in the Sahara. Really? So it's not that big a deal? The point is there is water there right, in the but soil. Do, but yeah. don't you want to go back? Oh, yeah, we have to. We have to go yeah, back. definitely. It's unbelievable we have not been back since the 70s. So much has changed now. We went from uh, cassette tapes to DVDs, to CDs, and now everything's downloaded. We could bring that technology to the moon. Better music is a reason to go back. China's going to beat us if we don't. I know. Yep. They go And they go to the dark side of the moon, evidently, because it's got, um, I, I guess it's stuff that we haven't done, but Pink Floyd sung about. Next, the second presidential debate delivered 63 million viewers across 15 networks down, by the way, to from 73 million for the first debate. Fox News, by far the biggest haul, 15.4. Uh, ABC, 11. NBC, 10. CNN, 7.5. MSNBC, 6.9. CBS, 5.7. Here's the other big news. I did not know this. I deserve no credit for it, by the way, either. In terms of shares, a top 10 TV show for the week of the 19th, The Daily Show, 3.9. Ellen DeGeneres, 3.5. Hannity, 3.1. 
Fox and Friends 2.4. Does that amaze you? And you were there every single day? Yes, it's a shocker. I don't remember the last time I took a day off. It was probably a month ago, and that was one day. Usually I'm punished, I'm being suspended. That when the ratings hit five? But we have no hobbies. As Americans, there's nothing else to do. Do you realize that? Can you not joke about being suspended? No Uh, one's going to find that funny. That's true. (laughs) From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.